In today's episode, I want to talk about Technics versus Reloop. I want to talk about recording mixtapes, and I want to talk about how much time you spend looking for new music. This is the Share the Knowledge Podcast for DJs. Let's go. For the last 26 years, I've been rocking stages, playing in clubs, and having a lot of fun as a DJ and turntablist, and in that time, I've seen and learned a lot. Now it's time for me to share that knowledge by answering the questions that can help you to become a better DJ. I'm DJ TLF, and this is the Share the Knowledge Podcast for DJs. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to Season 2, Episode 3 of the Share the Knowledge Podcast for DJs. I'm your host, DJ TLM, and this is my Q&A show where I try to answer as many DJ-related questions as possible and share my 25-plus years of experience with you. At the same time, I'm learning from the questions and all of the interaction that we can have in the comment section. So if you're checking out video clips from the podcast later on on YouTube, on DJ TLM TV, or anywhere where you can leave comments, Instagram, you name it. Uh, we'll talk more about all of these topics. And like I said, hopefully we can all learn from each other and become better DJs. Now, as usual, I have a bunch of questions ready that I took right off Instagram. If you're not familiar with the way I work, I post a post every week on Instagram asking for questions for the new episode, and that is definitely the best place for you to leave a comment, leave a question. I do look around, so you can leave comments anywhere. You can also send me an email, you name it, but this is definitely a place I check out. And the first question I want to get into is how much time you spend on searching for and buying new music. So the question right here is, how much time do you spend searching? Only DJ City or Pools? Make your own edits? And how much do you end up using? Do you only look for bangers or do you look for nice music to also calm the crowd back down to start building another climax? Thanks for all the good stuff. So this is gonna be different for a lot of different DJs. So first of all, if you're a DJ who only plays one genre, you're not gonna have to spend as much time looking for new music compared to DJs who play multiple genres or DJs who actually play everything. You have DJs out there who play house, urban, country, and whatever you can think of. And if you wanna stay up to date with all of that music, that's gonna take a lot of time and effort. I remember in the record store days, I already found it challenging to make sure that I was staying up to date when it was just hip-hop, R&B, dancehall, and maybe some uh, classics that would be released, re-released on vinyl, stuff like that. And I was like, dabbling a little bit in the electronic music side, especially the UK garage, stuff like that. But anytime a new genre came in, and I was also crate digging, looking for like old soul, funk, and you name it, to play or to sample, it becomes a lot. So in my current situation, I do not spend a lot of time looking for music. That's currently not my main priority. DJing is not my main priority. So whenever I do have some time, I'll take a look at the DJ pools, and there are plenty of DJ pools out there. So I look at a couple of DJ pools, see what's going on, check a couple of tracks, but I'm not spending hours to look for all of the music. Now, if I was more active, and DJing a lot, I would probably spend a lot more time. So I would at least take a peek every day to see if there's new stuff and just go through it and make sure that I'm only picking the stuff that I truly feel I might play. Now I saw a question or the question in here was also if I only look for bangers. Now that's definitely not the case. I'm looking for good music and those songs will all have their own purpose. So some songs are super dope, 
but it's pretty clear that they're only going to be used during a warm-up or maybe if you're closing out the night. Other songs are just straight-up bangers, you can tell. And with certain songs, I just hear that they're dope, and I have no idea if they're going to work, but if I feel they're dope enough, I'll take them, I'll give them a try. And if it's not going to be in a club, it could also be for a mixtape or for a mix show or radio live show, whatever it is, but that is the way I select. I look for good music. Now, there's a lot of edits in the DJ pool. I don't make edits currently, but with today's software, it's pretty easy to make your own edits. So yes, if I had a track and I felt that I needed a different version, I would probably just make an edit. So the one thing I want to add to this, and I've talked about that before, is if you're a member of a DJ pool or multiple DJ pools, make sure you're not just grabbing everything and that you end up, like the question also states, with a lot of music that you don't even play. And I've been there before, that you get a really hype, you see a lot of new tracks, you listen to two seconds and you feel like, okay, this is probably okay, and you'll download it, and then later you find out that you actually just never play it or put it on again and you find out that you actually don't like it but you don't delete it straight away that's the easiest way to just fill up your library and make it makes it harder to find the music that you actually want to find so make sure that you do that real quality control and check if you're actually going to play those songs or and that happens as well songs that you just want to listen to i'll download a couple of tracks that i just know i feel they're good I know I'm not going to DJ with the tracks, but I'll play them, so I'll have them in the car or whatnot. But I make sure that I try to stay away from tracks that I'm not sure about. I might just give them another listen and another listen, listen to the whole track if I have to, but I really make sure that I actually want the track. So please do that quality control and quantity control before you just start to download everything. So this question is all about a topic that I've talked about on many occasions, or at least I mention it, and that is if the crowd actually cares about your skills. Now, I'm not talking about turntablism skills, but we can add that to the conversation as well. I'm just talking about your regular fundamental DJ skills. So beat matching, EQ, stuff like that. So the question is all about that, and let's get straight into that question. Do you think the crowd appreciates or cares how good your transitions are, or is it just about what you play? I'm an old-ass DJ thinking of a comeback, but every time I hear some of these new generation DJs, especially where I'm from, play, I get confused. A good 99% of them don't even know what the one is, talk less of playing in phrases. They just mix two songs, and I hear some of the people say, oh, the DJ is good. So is timing a song and playing in phrases an esoteric thing? Now, I totally understand what you're talking about, and it is, unfortunately, a fact that a large portion of the crowd does not care about your skills. And we are living in an era where skills across the board have taken a back seat, not just for DJing, but for a lot of things. So it's true. A lot of people don't really hear if the transition is good. A lot of people don't really hear that you are taking care of that EQ or that you're mixing harmonically, that you're actually mixing in phrases so that your timing is on point. A lot of people don't care. That does not mean you shouldn't. Now, they do notice bigger mistakes. That's a fact. So if it's a train wreck, they can tell if like someone's really not paying attention to their gains and one track is playing at this volume, the next track comes in at that volume, a couple people will look around. 
But as easily as they looked around, they'll turn right back and continue to dance and drink and you name it. Now, it's not that the entire crowd is drunk. They're just not really focused on that. So, yes, it is about the tracks that you play. As long as you're playing music they like, they'll have a good time. That still, like I said, does not mean that you should not care about the way you are mixing. And even though a large portion of the crowd can't tell, there are still people in the crowd that will notice. The promoter or club owner can notice. So um, you should want to make sure that you are bringing your A-game. Now, you never know. We might come back to a time where skills start to matter more. You never know. But in my opinion, I became a DJ because I love DJing. I try to practice as much as I can to become as good as I can be. And that's the way I like to play. Once you've learned how to transition correctly, once you know about the one, once you know about phrases, it's going to be really hard to forget that. Same thing with rhythm. If you have rhythm, it's pretty hard to dance off beat. I remember when I was younger and we would see people in the club dancing like to some beat, not the beat that was playing, but they were dancing to their own rhythm. And when we would try to imitate like dancing off beat, it actually was troubling to me. Same thing as clapping to the song, but not clapping on beat, but off beat. To me, that's difficult. That is difficult to do. So I have the same thing with mixing. Anytime I do a transition and I hear that I make a mistake, I'm like, ah, I hate hearing that. I don't care what people feel about it, but I hate it. So for me, it's a personal thing. Even if there's no one, absolutely no one in the crowd that could care even a tiny bit about my mixing skills, I still want to perform to the best of my ability. But at the end of the day, let's never forget that it is all about the song selection. So this question is all about something that you see happening more and more. Some people think it's just like an EDM thing, but you can see this all over the place. And that is DJs stepping away from their decks to entertain the crowd in different ways. This could be just by holding a mic, walking to the front of the stage and talking to the crowd, but it could involve other things as well. So this question is all about that. What are your thoughts on leaving the booth to perform in other ways while DJing? I often step away from the decks to throw down some MJ moves during sets, and I'd be curious to hear other DJs' opinions on that. Reminder, I'm a club DJ, not a mobile DJ. So you're interested in other people's opinions, but I just want to start off by saying don't care about those opinions. If you feel comfortable doing what you do and people seem to like it, do you. That's the first thing I have to add. Now, I know plenty of DJs who do stuff like that. It is a thing in the EDM scene. You see them doing it all, like standing on the table, uh, walking to the front, clapping, jumping, uh, bringing out cakes, whatever it is. But I see other types of DJs do it as well, like dancehall DJs or people who are more into the Caribbean sound. They'll get to the front of the stage, get girls on stage, go all out wild dancing with the girls, then get back behind the decks. They turn it into an actual party on stage, and hey, it looks great. It's not my thing, but it looks great. And that's just it. It should be your personal choice to do that if you want to do that. Don't feel restricted to just stand behind the decks when you have a personality that is more outgoing than that. So if you want to do your MJ moves and people like it, cool. Do you.
So this topic is a topic that I was definitely going to discuss uh, because it's been on my mind, but more because a lot of people have been asking for it, even though there are already a lot of videos online doing the comparison thing. And that is the fact that last week, uh, two companies came out with news about new turntables. So first off, we have Panasonic and Technics coming out with the new SL1200 Mark 7. I still have my Mark IIs. This is the Mark 7, a brand new SL1200. And you have to keep in mind that Technics turntables were no longer being manufactured. That was a done deal. And of course, like a year ago, they came out with that ridiculously expensive turntable, not for us DJs, but now they're back with an actual new SL1200. On that same day, Reloop also announced that they're coming out with a Mark II of their 8000 turntable. Now, I'm not going to go into the technical specifications of both. I, my opinion about this is very, very basic. And if people ask me, like, which one would you choose, I'm doing a Reloop 1000%. That does not mean that I would not like to have a pair of brand new SL1200s, Mark 7s. But if you just compare the two turntables in this day and age, and as the type of DJ that I am, I would definitely prefer what Reloop is offering. So first off, the SL1200 Mark 7 is basically just that. It is a new SL1200 with a couple of updated features, but when you look at it, it looks just like that beautiful, sexy, classic SL1200. Now, the couple of improvements they make are actually good improvements. They worked on the torque. They now have RCA cables that are actually de detachable. It's not like connected so that you have to open up the entire turntable. Um, so that's pretty good. If I'm not mistaken, the ground wire is gone, so they've been internally grounded. I had to let someone do that to my turntables, but these already have that. And there were a couple of more, well, smaller features, smaller changes, but overall, it is just a new shiny SL1200. I say it like that because if you compare it to what Reloop is doing with the 8000 Mark II, and the first version was already kind of this, but they just made improvements. Uh, it is a turntable, but at the same time, I consider that to be a controller because that turntable has so many features that allow you to control functions inside Serato that you can't really just call it a turntable. It basically feels like you have sort of a Rain 12 with more features, but then it's not like a controller because you can still put vinyl on it and uh, put the needle on the record. So it's still actually a turntable. So just looking feature-wise, these two shouldn't even be compared. It's a totally different animal. Now, the reason why I would say Reloop is I like the extra features. Like a normal turntable is cool. And like I said, I would love to have a pair just because it's the classic Technics, but they don't offer anything else feature-wise. And then we get to the most important part, if you were liking both, and that's the price point. Now, off the top, I don't remember how much that 8000 Mark II was costing. Could be anything between uh, uh, five, six, seven hundred, something like that. The SL1200 Mark Seven is coming in at, I believe, $1,200. I don't understand what they're doing. 
Like, when I heard the news, I was like, cool, it's great to see Technics back. If people still want SL1200s, they can buy a brand new pair instead of buying secondhand that could have been straight out of the 70s where all the internals are probably about to die. You have the option to buy brand new. That's dope. But then they bring the price point, and it's not even close to any of the other turntables, like a PLX-1000, like a VL-12, like Reloop 7000 Mark II, or not the 8000 Mark II. Um, I don't know, man. I, I have no idea what they were thinking about, because for, I think, most DJs out there, it's just not an option to buy two turntables and pay $2,400 for that. You could buy two turntables and probably almost have enough money to buy something like an S9. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. And if you don't need like an S9 level mixer, you could take a more regular mixer and definitely buy that and two of the 8000 Mark IIs for within the price of two Technics SL1200s. And then you can still control a lot of the features in Serato because of the fact that those 8000s have all of those options. So I don't know, man. I think we shouldn't compare the two. And if I would have to choose, it's an obvious choice for me uh, just because of the price point alone. That it's mind boggling to me. So. That's all I can really say about it. Let me know how you feel. Let me know which one you would prefer. I know there's some people out there who just want that regular turntable with no extras on there. Uh, I definitely don't fall into that category because I have SLs and those new ones don't offer enough new for me to just say, yes, I need those in my life. They look great. They have that classic thing going on, the status. But $2,400 for status not happening over here. All right, so this next question is all about organizing your crates. I've talked about this before. I still don't have the answer. I still believe there's not one answer out there. Uh, but I saw a question and I just want to talk about that for a second. So the question is, you've addressed this before and I'm from the old school as well as yourself. But crate organizing, it never ends. What should take for 2019 on making that one go-to crate that will fit for a club environment where you're playing mostly bangers? And do you think it's wise to put all club bangers in one crate, rather it's bangers from the 90s or today's hits? Um, here's my thing. This also depends on what it is that you play. So for instance, if you only play hip hop and R&B, I think you could definitely have like your bangers in one crate. You could do that. Um, if you're playing more genres, it might get a little bit too crowded in that crate. And it also depends on if you're playing everything from like the 80s, 90s up until now, that could be a lot of bangers for one crate. I don't run into a lot of parties, but again, and I'll state this as many times as I can, I'm not playing a lot of parties right now, but I don't run into a lot of parties where I actually get to play 80s, 90s hip hop and now hip hop. It's mostly parties where it's like the newer stuff and where you can maybe play a quote unquote old school track and then it's something from 2007, 8, 9, 10. Or it's a party where it's like 90s and maybe up until 2000 or whatever. So I would probably divide at least those two eras, but maybe you're playing a lot of clubs where you get to play all of that together. If that's the case, that you play parties where you just play everything, um, then yeah, you could do one crate, but I just wonder how full that crate is gonna be. And again, I'm only talking about if we're just doing 
hip hop or hip hop R&B. If we're gonna add like, I play hip hop R&B, new jack swing, a bit of dancehall, sometimes like a bit of electronic stuff like UK Garage, some stuff like that. Then I have like some soul funk, some b-boy breaks. I'm not gonna put all of that into one folder. Right now it makes more sense for me to have like that b-boy breaks folder. Then I have like, uh, a 70s folder and an 80s folder, and there's not a lot in there. The, the 70s folder is mostly just some disco hits. The 80s folder is more like the MJs and stuff from that era, but not that much. They're not that big. One crate, I had that on my mind for a long time, like making that one, like that killer crate. Uh, maybe one day I'll make it work, but I know that's just gonna take so much time, especially if you have like a larger music collection. It takes a lot of time to go through that because then you actually wanna make sure that you have everything in there and that there's enough in there that you can take that one crate and play multiple parties and still have like room to play different tracks. If it's one crate, like one folder, and basically every time you use that folder, you're playing the same tracks, uh, to me, that's going to get one-sided. I'm trying to get away from that because every time I played, uh, I had a feeling like, oh, man, I forgot this joint, that joint. I really wanted to play those, and I forgot them. And uh, 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 I just know it's going to take a lot of time for me to get that perfect one-crate uh, uh, scenario happening. So for me, 2019 is definitely not a priority at all. Um but I know it's hard to make that happen, so I wish you the best of luck. Uh, and let me know in the comments section, Are you? how many genres are you playing? That is something I'd like to know. All right, so this question is all about a scenario that most DJs will run into sooner or later, and that is people leaving the dance floor. So the question is, how do you keep moral up as you see people leave the dance floor, especially during longer four-hour sets? Um, look, one thing that's very important to keep in mind is you will never keep all people on the dance floor at all times, and I don't think that should even be a goal. There's a simple fact that some people at any time will hear a song that they're less interested in, and they're gonna take that as their cue to go get that next drink. Like, if you're having crazy fun, you're enjoying yourself on the dance floor, you're hearing all the tracks you like, at a certain point you're gonna hear a track that you're like, that's cool. It's not like it's bad, but it's cool. That's mostly the perfect moment to say, all right, let's go get a drink. That doesn't mean you did a bad job as a DJ. That just means that's their cue to get that drink because they don't like that track. And I've said that before. You're not going to please everyone. Um, you could play a track and have like half the dance floor use that as a cue to get that drink. Uh, you could translate that to not playing the right track. And maybe that's a fact. Maybe that's a track that's not popular at the venue or city, wherever you're playing. Uh, that can happen. Even when that happens, it's not, in most cases, going to be that they hear that track, they're walking off to go get their jacket and leave the club. Now, I understand there's certain scenes in certain areas where you have, like, long streets with a lot of clubs, and everyone who goes there is all about club 
hopping. They actually go into every club and bar. And I've seen that situation. I absolutely hate it because most times in those situations, you have like promoters and club owners that want you to make sure that you're just playing hits, hits, hits. Keep everyone in as long as you can because, yes, there they will walk out and walk straight into a next club. Um, that's a scenario I stay away from. That's that's not cool. I definitely do not like that. I've had stress like that from a promoter. It's like, yo, start playing the hits, start playing the hits. I'm like, leave me alone. Let me do my thing. But um, let's not get into that. So here's the thing. I've had it happen that I played a track that was definitely something that the crowd hadn't heard before. And it still happens, but at a certain point, it happened a lot that people only danced to what they knew. I think it's still the case, but that was a clear example to me of, okay, if they don't know it, they don't like it. 50 to maybe 75% of the dance floor stopped dancing and went to get that drink or just go to the side. And I'm talking about a club that had, I don't know, like 800 people in there. So that's a lot of people leaving the dance floor. Crazy amount of people. The track I played was Lean Back, Fat Joe, Terror Squad, Remy Ma. Big hit. At the time I played it, it wasn't familiar here yet because I'd gotten off the plane from New York that day. I was at Beach Street. I got all the new white labels, the brand new joints. I heard that track, and to me it's like, Second I heard that intro, I was like, whoa, what's this? Then that track, that beat came in, that Scott Storch beat. I was like, wow, I'm playing this tonight. That's exactly what I did. That intro came in, and instead of getting that ha that you get when they recognize it, I didn't get that, and I was expecting that because they didn't know it yet. So they stopped dancing to listen to that intro. I was like, oh, boy, now that beat's going to come in. And that beat came in, and people were like, Let's go get a drink. Wow. And I've, I can name other tracks that became major hits where I had that same experience. Now, at that point, I'm not going to panic. I'm not going to worry about it. But I'm also not going to be the crazy rebel who's going to play that entire track just to make a point like, yes, this is the joint right here. So, all right. That's not working. I'll find the next track, went back into the crates. I'm talking vinyl at that point. Uh, I just got a track that I knew, uh, you guys know this one. And yes, I played that. And as corny as it can be, they came right back. Uh, sometimes it's as simple as that, but that's why I'm never really that scared to lose people. Now, if you're playing a four-hour set, you cannot do four hours of this, like have that energy there. You're going to have to have a little bit of this in there. Give them some room to breathe. Let them go get that drink. So you should not be worried about people leaving a dance floor. I mean, in my opinion and in my experience, that's never been the worst thing that can happen. It can feel a little bit off, especially if you're playing in a venue and there's not that many people. So it's already harder to get that vibe going. Like, for instance, I've played in clubs where... There were so, like, there just weren't enough people. So even when you're playing the biggest hits, they're hesitant to get on the dance floor because they're feeling that they're being watched. There's not enough people. Um, yeah, in cases like that, you want to try and keep them all in, but it's going to be really hard. 
but if the, the club is packed and people start to get off the dance floor, you should be able to wheel them back in. But just just keep that in mind. You don't have to have them all on the dance floor at all times. The bar wants to make a profit as well, so they're actually wanting people to come over there and get drinks as well. If you could have them on the dance for four hours nonstop, not a drink will get sold. That's not a good thing either, all right? So keep that in mind. Don't worry too much about it. Get them back with a nice track, maybe after two or three tracks, but have that like banger ready that you know will work, and then you'll probably bring them back in. All right. All right. So this question is all about something I feel is very important, and that is being prepared to play in different situations. This question is all about being used to using scratch mixers and if you should prepare for other mixers as well. So the question is, over the last few years, I've gotten into turntablism and bought a S9 as my mixer. I have the curve as sharp as possible and the fader as light as possible. I was wondering if I should practice with my fader heavier and the curve less sharp since every mixer won't be as light or as buttery as my S9. So I think that is a great idea because yes, you will wind up in situations where you will not have your S9. And I've had this happen from the very beginning. I remember my first scratch mixer, that was a Vestax, that was the 05. And once I got my hands on that and felt how smooth that was and sharp that was, I absolutely loved it. But I was already familiar with the fact that a lot of clubs don't have that. And back in the days, we didn't even have the Pioneers. We had like other mixers, like big mixing boards with long faders, sometimes no cross fader at all. So I was already kind of used to it. But even then, when I started to practice at home, I got used to the Vestax. Um, every time I played in a club and I couldn't bring my Vestax, I had to like really switch that mindset and, and get used to that fader. And sometimes that takes a couple of minutes, but I could adjust. But there's a lot of you out there who start with your first mixer and that mixer might have a nice cross fader, but that cross fader and mixer are not the same as what you might run into in different clubs or areas. So. I feel you should practice with your S9 in its perfect setting. So have that fader as sharp as can be, so you can do those nice sharp cuts. And if you wanna have it as light, you have it light. I don't have it in the lightest, I don't really like that. So to your personal preference, but also just change those settings and learn how to use that as well. Like most clubs might have a DJM 900. It has a pretty nice fader but it's not the same as your S9. So I made sure that I was working with that as well. I have a 900 SRT and a lot of my actual scratch tutorials on DJTLM TV were done with that 900 SRT and not with something like my S9 or my 05, the first one or the Mark IV. So I got used to using that as well. Now, are you gonna perform as well as with your scratch mixer? Probably not, but you can definitely get a lot out of a lot of these club mixers. So preparing for that, so it's not your first time once you get to that club, can only be good because if you're already prepared for that, that is not something you're gonna worry about. You're just gonna jump into the booth, you feel the mixer, and you can feel like, okay, this is not as sharp, cool. Move it a couple of times, get used to the movement, get used to how fast it opens and then you're good to go and you're not worried about it compared to DJs who are only used to their own equipment. Now they have to play with something else and basically they panic. They start to worry about that instead of worrying about which track to play next. So make sure that rocking that crowd can always have that first priority by not worrying about other side stuff. 
So that's it for episode three of the Share the Knowledge podcast for DJs in 2019, season two. I want to thank you for tuning in. Make sure you check out the other episodes. And for all my info, check the links in the description box down below. If you want to check out more of my video content on DJ TLM TV, go to YouTube, subscribe, and activate notifications so you don't miss out on any of my future videos. I'll be back next week with a new episode. Once again, thanks for tuning in. I'm DJ TLM, and I'm out. Peace.